Hello everybody on the Dogs Today Facebook page, if you are indeed seeing us already. Um, I'd like to introduce you to my guest this evening, Professor John Cooper, QC. I'm not having him to drink. I know it's my birthday, John, but you... What's um, your birthday today? It is. Birthday. I'm surprised I haven't mentioned it 17 million times already, but have yes. You, have you been spoiled today? Well, kind of. Yeah, I should say yes, shouldn't I? <laughs> yes, tremendously so. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, dear. But um, obviously spoilt talking to you this evening because that's um, you're, you're a charmer. You're a charmer. I, know, I know. I've got my glass of wine though, so I'm feeling um, oh, quite. Yeah. Would you like a drink? <laughs> just take it off you. Yeah. <laughs> right. We we appear to be live. I should warn people on Facebook that we're talking on Zoom, so we're twenty seconds ahead. We can't actually see if you ask us a question. Um, we'll probably have a look at the end and see if anybody did ask any questions, but. You're just going to have to sit down and listen for it because I'm sure John's going to tell us some amazing stories. I want to first of all kick John off here with, well, what was it like when you were growing up, John? Did you always know you were going to be something in the law or was there any other careers that perhaps appealed to you? Well, funnily enough, there's always been two things that have been dear to my heart as far as uh, uh, work and that sort of thing is concerned, and that's the law and writing. And I've kept them up, I have to say, uh, and I still I still keep them up. At a very early age, though, as far as the law is concerned, I, I, I mean, I come from a normal working class background, so there are no lawyers in the family, none at all. Where are you from, John? Uh, I, I'm well, from Liverpool. Where are you yeah, from? Uh, I'm from Wolverhampton. You probably can hear the accent come out every now and then, you know, when I talk like that. Oh, uh, that that's, that, that's, that's my natural accent. It's funny, actually, when I listen back to, I've got an old reel-to-reel tape recorder. And when I was a youngster, I used to write plays and then record them on the reel-to-reel -reel tapes. And I can hear my accent when I was about an eight, nine-year-old boy in oh. Wolverhampton. And my goodness me, do I do, do I do I have the the accent? And I'm proud of it, I have to say. No, um, no. Proud of where I come from. Proud of Wolverhampton. Um, and always and always will be. But I wanted to become a lawyer from a very early age. I saw a TV program called Crown Court. Uh, some people listening in may well be uh, aware of that program that used to go on. I used to love it. I well, it, to love it, it. It just got me interested in, in barristers uh, mm. and what they did. Mm. Uh, and from then on, that was always primarily what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a barrister and I wanted to do trials in front of juries. But as I say, simultaneously, I was writing. I was writing for puppet theatre, doing puppet shows, punching oh. huge shows. I used to earn a little bit of pocket money going to uh, birthday parties and doing puppet shows. Uh, my mum made me a puppet theatre. Uh, and Dad helped by uh, turning over an old box in which a washing machine came and yeah. cut holes in the top for the puppet, glove puppets to show, and that was my puppet theatre. So oh, there were the two things which have stayed with me all my life, really. So it's not easy getting into the law. So were you a particularly studious boy? Were you, were you, you at the top of the class? How did, how did you get where you got? <clears throat> Well, in my early years at primary school, I was probably what's called a juvenile delinquent. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I was very hard to, 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 to manage. My, my heart goes out to probably my teachers aren't around anymore in from primary school, but if they are, my heart goes out to them in having to manage me. I was absolutely a nightmare. The only time I ever concentrated was when the school plays were on. Mm -hmm. I wanted a decent part in the school plays. 
but certainly mm -hmm. in primary school, I was so bad, I was sent to see a child psychiatrist. Really? I still remember his name, Dr. Everly Jones. Dr. Everly Jones. I looked him up, Ooh. I Googled him recently and looked at his background, apparently uh, a very eminent man. So I went to see a child psychologist and basically uh, uh, my parents were told uh, he just needs uh, a, a, a zero stimulation. And when I went to uh, a, a, the secondary school, a comprehensive school, which I really was the making of me, I'm a big fan of the comprehensive system. Uh, it was called the Regis School at the time. So oh, I right. the King's School in Tettenhall, Wolverhampton. Mm. That was the making of me, a wonderful school. Teachers started taking an interest in me. Teachers started answering my questions and fielding my questions. And I suddenly became, uh, from really borderline delinquent, I could have gone either way, uh, to, to a very, very driven student. Um, wow. So it could have gone either way for me, age 11. I failed my 11 plus. Right. There, there's a new one for you. I failed my 11 plus because I simply did not work. I didn't concentrate. I didn't yes. apply myself. And I was a bit of a rebel as well in the sense that I was determined not to do anything at primary school because the, of the way I felt in a childish way I was being treated. And, and purely childish, I realised that. But I just decided I wasn't going to contribute. No wonder I failed my 11 plus. I didn't even work for it. Uh, but then... I was given motivation and stimulation and I rose to the ranks uh, in the comprehensive school. Now, the reality here is, if there hadn't have been the comprehensive system in my day, uh, I'd have probably gone to secondary modern and I'd not have been able to uh, break through the, the glass ceiling. I'd have been... Right, you'd have been sidelined, wouldn't you? I'd have been age, age 10 and 11, mm -hmm. based upon my performance in primary school and not given a chance to maybe reach my full potential. So the comprehensive system for me is very it close. Very, well, it's very close to my heart. I'm a staunch defender of the comprehensive system. So did you have any pets at home? Because um, I, I, like you, um, I, I was a bit of a, um, I was a naughty girl when I was little. I, I was one of those that didn't concentrate and got those terrible reports that said things like, um, yeah, well, she, she seems nice, but um, yeah, she, she won't come to anything if she doesn't buckle down and do some work. Oh, by the way, I tell you, my teacher in my primary school, and this says how old I am, said to my mother, he'll be hanged. Oh, my God. Whoa. So I interrupted you, but you reminded me of something that was said to my mother. It was obviously dates me at end of the end of the 60s or uh, uh, as it were, but... Uh, what a horrible thing, though, to say to a... Absolutely to a ghastly. Anyway, no. sorry, I interrupted No, no, I, I, I was saying that, um, for me, the only reason that I... I we didn't have an 11-plus because I went into a direct grant school, which is um, we don't have anymore. So that was an entrance exam that um, if, you, if you, you could pay to go to the school, but you still had to pass the exam, or there was um, a free place if you got the top mark in the exam. And weirdly, um, no one thought I stood a chance of getting the top mark because um, I'd shown no aptitude to do anything like that. But my, my dad said, if I got a scholarship, I could have a horse. And we lived in a semi-detached house in Crosby. There was no way we could have a horse. But he could have said unicorn because there was no chance of me getting one. So, um, but unfortunately, I did focus and I wanted that horse at that moment. Thankfully, it was fleeting. And uh, I changed it to a dog. But I'm just wondering if you had a dog in your life mm. when you were growing up or any pets. Well, I certainly have a dog in my life now and we'll come on to him later. As yeah. You know. uh, but, but, but 
in my early years, uh, I had a pet rabbit called Snowy, mm -hmm. who I was absolutely devoted to. But here's a story about a budgerigar I have. Because now I'm obviously against cage birds. And I, I don't yes. like the feeling of it at all. And I, I think it's, it's cruel. But at the time, uh, he, he's, a, he's a story of our time. I was about 12. I went to uh, a garden fete or a school fete, as it was. And there was mm -hmm. this competition. It's horrible to sound when, when I say it now. This competition where you do a ping pong ball or something yes. into a jar. Yes. And they were giving away budgerigars. How cruel. Really? How cruel Gosh, is not, that? Not, not and, and I, I threw the ping pong ball into a jar. It has a happy mm. ending, by the way. I threw the ping pong ball into a jar and, and won a budgerigar. And, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Because, as I say, I'm totally against caged birds, yes. uh, you know, uh, uh, as, as a sentient adult. But I'm talking about an 11 year old boy here yes, who, yes. who was just throwing ping pong balls into a jar. Yes. Uh, I could have won a coconut, I could have won a cuddly toy, I happened to win a budgerigar. Now, I think these things are, it's illegal now, thank God, that, yes. that states can do this sort of thing. I, 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 at the time, I it was kind of like... It's area, though. We, 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 we ran into this problem the other day, um, mm. well, a few months, well, years ago, when yeah. Keith Lemon tried to give away a pug on um, television. See, it's totally wrong. Talk about dogs not, for, uh, not just for Christmas. I mean, it goes even worse than that. But anyway, in, in my day, they used to, it used to be common to get goldfish in plastic uh, bags with bits of yes. water in them and all that sort of thing. And when you think back on it, you think, my God, uh, yes. uh, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's appalling. But anyway, so I won the budgerigar and, and, yes. and I walked back with this budgerigar on a cardboard box home and, mom, and I say to my mum, I've won something at the fair. And mum said, uh, she was just upstairs, she was shouting down and I was shouting up. <laughs> so she's obviously imagining something like a candy velocity. Mm. Uh, and I said, oh, it's a budgerigar. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then was the test trying to get the budgie safely out of the box in, into oh, something. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, bottom line is, it's not a perfect story in the sense that, as I say, cage birds for me just turn my stomach, quite frankly. Yeah. Now, but in the context that, that I had him, called him Bobby, he lived for 10 years, which is a good time for a... Well, a, you must have looked after As you can well imagine, I pampered <laughs> this budgerigar. Yes. Uh, right to the extent of, I, I still had this budgerigar when I went to university. Really? Uh, and and, and I, I, <laughs> my parents were obliged to look after him once I'd left uni. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, we let him fly around the house. I remember one Christmas finding him in the Christmas tree and that sort of thing. <laughs> I emphasise again, it's not a politically correct story now in 2020, and I'd never do it now. But uh, at the time, uh, that's another pet story. As far as the dog's concerned, no, because the family setup wasn't really there to support and look after a dog. And I'm always of the view, never have any pet unless you can look after it. And that no, includes very good the proverbial goldfish to, the, to a horse. Uh, and really, we weren't set up as a family with, with those commitments to, to have a dog. But I'd mm. always wanted one. And uh, uh, about five years ago, my wish came true. Well, the lovely Lawrence. Uh, Where is Lawrence? Is he around? Lawrence, is, Lawrence has had a very lazy day today. But as everybody knows, it's been very hot. Yes. Uh, and he's been uh, finding the, the coolest place in the house. And that's, I think, where he is now. But he is gorgeous. I mean, uh, I, 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 superlatives for him. He's, he's a wonderful rescue lurcher for those that don't know. Uh, I, I called him a greyhound earlier, so that's, that's uh, he's, minus he's 10 points for half me. Half greyhound, half saluki. Oh! Uh, and that makes out for what uh, we call his Omar Sharif eyes. 
Oh. Uh, I mean, that, you know, quite frankly, he works you with his eyes. Like, like, <laughs> like dogs, I'm sure over this now are nodding away listening. Oh, and his ears yeah. as well. He's got such a lovely temperament. Mm. He's a beautiful boy. Yeah, uh, I, I have met Lawrence, and I, I'm, I can yeah. I can say that. Yeah, is it Lawrence of Arabia? Um, well, no, it, the, the rescue centre called him Lawrence. I just thought it was appropriate. Plus the fact the first three letters of law, L A W, which yeah. I thought was it, it just had to be. Well, let me tell you a story about Lawrence. Go on. It's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd had him uh, for about a week, mm -hmm. and uh, he we we were walking him on lead. Um, and then an off-lead dog comes running up to him. Right. Not necessarily aggressively, but enthusiastically. Now, Lawrence uh, clearly had been uh, abused in the past, either hit or frightened. Mm. Um, and he'd been with us a week. This dog comes bounding up to him. Lawrence, uh, quite a strong dog, uh, panicked. Uh, but of course, as everyone will know, a dog on a lead being confronted by a dog not on a lead always calls the dog on a lead to feel constrained. He panics, breaks off his lead, and runs. And we'd only had him a week. Uh, and this was in August, many about five years ago. He didn't know, he'd been in a house about five days. Mm. We had all the, the local people out till midnight. It was August, so it's quite light till late in the, in the fields. So the farmer came out with his uh, Land Rover and we were lamps and, and, and torches shouting his name, um, all of that, but couldn't see him, couldn't find mm. him. So uh, we, Charlotte and I went to, went, went to bed about just after midnight thinking, oh my goodness me, we've, we've just had Lawrence. It was the start of what we all thought, and that at Lawrence thought was a wonderful new time of life for him. Yes. He's now bolted into a foreign area that he doesn't know. Oh dear. Uh, and, and everyone knows when a lurcher, let alone a greyhound, bolts at speed, it's like 0 to 60 in 30 seconds or, yeah. or less than he's gone. And we think, you know, that's it. Uh, six o'clock in the morning, yeah. there's a knocking on the door and he's just in the postman. It's Lawrence. Whoa. He found his way back to our Clever house. Clever boy. Clever boy. And he'd only been with us four days. Now, this is a boy who's, who's been abused and hit and mistreated. And he decided, and this is the humbling thing about him, he decided that within about four days of being with us, yeah. this is the place where he wanted to be. Oh, bless him. And so when you, when you, uh, people often say, we don't choose dogs, they choose us. Mm. This is a classic example of Lawrence having a, how shall I put it, a chance to break the contract and say, I've run away, I don't have to come back. But he chose, he chose to come back. And that is very humbling, very humbling. Yeah, and I bet you, uh, I, I, I've had a dog missing for five days. Um, mm. And I, gosh, it's the longest five days of my life. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't do anything, you're just distracted. No, and you think um, of birth, of course, as well, don't you? Yes, and well, I, well, I, I must admit, I, I, things were already the worst for me because my, my dad had died the, the, um, just before then and it was the day after the funeral. Mm. So you think you're at your lowest possible ebb and then the dog sitter lets the dog out and yeah. you sort of go, hmm, mm. that's just not really. And then five days of searching um, for a very elderly dog. But every day more people came out to help me look. How did you and, find and it? It was wonderful. 
it was how did, you find, how did you find him in the end? Well, in the end, well, it got really complicated because my dad had died quite suddenly. So very few people knew he died because he was absolutely fine. And then suddenly he wasn't. And um, with the dog going missing after the day after the funeral, the local paper thought it was newsworthy. And it's always difficult to get publicity when you've lost a dog. So they wrote this awful, sad story about how my father had died and then the dog had gone missing. And of course, everyone who read the Liverpool Echo, who had ever met my father, read that he had died and then phoned me up. So every call was somebody crying down the phone because he was very much loved. He was a lovely man. You, you'd have loved him, John, actually. He oh, was, I'm um, sure I would, I'm sure. He was, he was a great friend of Harold Wilson's. Really? Um, I, oh, I'd have definitely liked him then. You'd definitely that? loved him, wouldn't you? So um, we'll get on to politics. Um, <laughs> But um, yes, Don um, was very, had, had helped lots and lots of people. And I there was no way of contacting them for the funeral. So they, the first they knew about it was in the paper when the dog was missing. So it was all over the local media, this sad story about this missing dog. So um, at four o'clock in the morning, I got a call from um, an industrial estate and the night shift at a factory had spotted Poppy, our elderly dog. And they all came out of the factory and helped me catch her. And it was just wonderful. Amazing. I mean, they all walked off. <laughs> I think it was the News of the World factory, actually, because they, they printed it just went over the road. So, um, yes, I disrupted um, the press. But oh, what, they, what a um, great story. What, and it's always wonderful, isn't it? When you, it, It's almost like the, uh, the, uh, the, the prodigal dog, isn't it, really? Well, the dog didn't recognise me. She recognised our other dog um, that I'd brought out. I also brought some, some cold chips for some reason, because I thought, well, she hasn't eaten for five days. You never know, food might do it. And that was, I don't know why there was, I think I can't cook. So that, it was a, every different type of takeaway me and my mother were eating. So here was me sort of with a dog on a lead, a big bearded collie, a bag of chips. <laughs> and an enormous number of people on the industrial estate, um, some of them in cars, because they worked out that they could, they could try and sort of squeeze her into a space, because she was, she was feral at that point. Mm -hmm. And suddenly she saw the other dog and she came towards us. And I picked her up and the sigh, I will never forget, the sigh of relief that she was safe. And I wasn't going to have all of my parents' dogs, because I, I, we lived in a very small place in Somingdale. There was no way they could all really fit, but I just put them all in the car and drove them down. I had my mum and all the dogs and we just got on with it. And we never trusted a dog sitter to look after them all again. Cause well, um, you, you never do do after that. I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, it, it's, it was just, it's a great story with a great ending. That's the important thing, isn't it? Well, she lived a long life and, and, um, and it was very peculiar. People would come in and they, they couldn't see the carpet. All they could see was wall to wall bearded collies. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fine. But, but they can't necessarily see our car, that's because Lawrence is 24-7, 12 months a year molting. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, beardies don't really, because they're so hairy. Uh, um, it just grows and grows and grows. That, um, but no, I, I've, I, yes, I've now got a dog that molts. But we've also go... got, I should also say, in the, in, in the spirit of, 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 of equality, we've also got a Shih Tzu called Lola. Yes. Did, did the Shih Tzu uh, come she, first or second? And she's the boss. Oh, she's the boss. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was very important when we had Lawrence uh, to make sure that Lola accepted her, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, and credit where credit's due, she did. And she's actually been responsible for teaching Lawrence skills that he didn't have. He didn't know oh, how to play with toys, for instance. 
Uh, and sometimes when Lawrence gets nervous with people that he doesn't know, because he's, he can get nervous, particularly with men, mm -hmm. uh, Lola, you'll see Lola go up to these people for a, 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 a pat, as if mm -hmm. to say to Lawrence, look, it's okay. Oh, bless. So, but she's also the boss. She'll, she'll tell him off when needs be. And when they play, it's always Lawrence that's doing the play bow. Uh, so she's definitely the alpha. Yeah, so if dogs are, f we, we found, because we ended up with 14 bearded collies mm -hmm. at some stages, which was ridiculous. But um, the boys were were very sweet. Um, and if they fell out with each other, they'd have sort of a little bit of fisticuffs and then they'd just get over it. But the girls, it was, they would fight to the death. I mean, they're, they're a very friendly breed, but they really, if, if they took against each other, that was it. They were, they really, really held a grudge. So um, I did get to notice there was a big difference in, in certainly in that breed, um, mm. or maybe in just our line. But the boys, yes, were very, well, they'd do anything for a pat, whereas the girls would do anything for food. Oh, Lawrence is very food driven, which can be very helpful sometimes when you when you want to find out where he is. You only have to rattle up some paper. That's very him, useful. That and he will come useful. bounding at you. I mean, he's very food driven and we have to have be careful sometimes. Well, it's um, unusual, actually, because lots of people have trouble um, getting getting um, lurchers to eat. Oh, um, God, no. No, 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 no. He must be very content. That's good to I hear. Think, well, yeah, I, I think he is, and it's lovely sometimes when you see he, he, him napping, and I know it's the way their, mm -hmm. their, 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 their faces just fall because of the muscle structure. Sorry, I'm being a real, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being a real, real cynic here, aren't I? And I know it's the muscle structure, and I know they're not smiling. So let's, 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 well, be, let's be real about this. But I on the other hand, it's nice to think it. We can read expressions, micro-expressions in mm. our dogs, can't we? We know. They read our, we, we read our expressions in the dog, effectively. Well, I don't know. They're reading us at the same time. And that's the thing is they watch us closer than people watch us. And that's really, because that's why they can do the amazing things they can do. Because the, um, the dogs that can spot people who are going to have an epileptic seizure yes, five minutes course. before. Yes, That's amazing. It's, yeah. watch, it's finding tiny little things and caring enough to make a note of it to themselves. Well, what what, what really is, 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 is nice about Lawrence, I mean, Lawrence and I have a very close relationship. I mean, um, although Shiloh, my partner, he, he's, he gets close to him when the food's out. For sure, uh, and he completely drops me the moment the food's out. I'm just persona on grata the moment, so he's, he's a bit, he's a bit fickle. Um, but what what is interesting about him is that uh, he knows when to give space, and he knows when not to. So, for instance, if I come in for work and I'm under a bit of pressure, I just want to chill out a bit. You know, and you, and, you, know yes. you don't want the dog's muzzle under your arm, constantly lifting your arm up. I don't have to say anything. He'll just read me, and yes. he'll go to his chair. And then on other occasions, for instance. Uh, you know, if I'm under the weather, got a cold or flu, for instance, he immediately reads that and he, he comes to me. Oh. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, nine times out of ten, we end up on the floor giving him a belly rub, which is his favourite. Um, but he is able to read read me, which again is quite humbling. And the fact that mm -hmm. I don't know what he, I'm no dog behaviourist, I'm no dog psychiatrist, but it, it, whilst I'm a cynic about dogs' facial expressions. Uh, you know, it's, I, well, we'll have a debate about this. I'm not a cynic about their psychology and their behavioural skills because they do have this, or some dogs, many dogs, have this innate thing of being able to read people. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's instinct for survival. I don't know what it is, but certainly I, I, I've seen it. Well, Dr Ian Dunbar, 
who was used, was a British vet who then became a behaviorist and went off to California and became a professor over there of, and invented puppy socialization, a lovely Ian. Um, he once said that dogs, there are, only, there are only three species on earth that put up with um, being abused by people and still love them. And it was um, by man, he said, actually. And that was dolphins, horses, and dogs. And that there is something in all three of those that is like a, no matter what, they still love us. Um, so forgiving. I, 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 I've said this of Lawrence. I mean, he, he's got, you know, at least one scar on him to prove it from his previous life. Very uh, he's, and, and, you know, I only have to pick up a newspaper and go like that with a newspaper when I'm reading it, and he'll jump back. So he's he, he, he's he, he's uh, he's been beaten, he's been abused yeah. in the past, and yet he was he so willing to trust us. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm of the category that, that given what Lawrence has gone through, I I I should be his number one fear because mm -hmm. of clearly he, he he's afraid of men, he's afraid of 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 of, of tone of men. Uh, all of that, so I should be his number one fear, and yet he's taken me into his life. Yeah, and totally, but, I, you know, I can literally now. This is going to make me soppy. <laughs> Go on. I can literally kiss his eyelid. He lets me kiss his eyelid. Oh bless! <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it it is amazing what they overcome and how much we can learn in some ways from them because they they are so forgiving i mean there's um i don't know if you've met fleur the the dog that was um came from romania that no i don't been, know how no, no no you must meet her they're making a movie about her wow. and it's because it, it, it is a great story she got mm. um um, Ceausescu was put a, um, a bounty on the heads of the dogs in Romania and made it so that anyone was incentivized to spay as many dogs as they could and put them into shelters. So it was a cleaning up the streets, getting rid of all the dogs. So people were operating who weren't vets and someone decided to spay Fleur. Um, and I think they just used string or something to tie her, to sew her back up. It's just absolutely disgusting. And she was, she had her intestines hanging out in the shelter. Oh. And the photo was, I, I remember the photo on Facebook. It was one of those pictures where the dog looked so sad, so depressed, so absolutely hopeless in this kill shelter. And um, lovely Val, who runs Val Gray's um, rescue, just said, oh, you know, I know we can't help them all, but we can make a world of difference to this one. So she, the dog was saved, was, was patched up in Romania and brought home. And Wendy and, and um, Andrew, bless them, took, took this dog on and gave this dog this fantastic life. But no one knew, but because of that botched spay, the intestines, when they went back in, started to die. And there was no one in the country who'd ever done an operation to reconstruct, well, the bowels, the intestines. No one had ever done one where the dog had survived. And um, there we've got this little rescue. And um, it went on Facebook. And it just so happened the Royal Veterinary College had the world experts in that type of surgery. And um, the dog was instantly rushed over there. They meet, met the dog in the car park. They heard on social media, this really famous dog, Fleur, was coming to them. Uh, and um, they operated all night and they saved her life. And Fleur trusts everybody and loves everybody. And now- We don't deserve it, do we really? We don't, no. I don't, 
person, no. the humanity sometimes just doesn't deserve no. it. I mean, there's no known cruelty. And this poor little thing, um, the, the vet bill was enormous. You can imagine the best surgeons in the world. There was three vets that worked all night to save this dog. And within 24 hours, people on Facebook raised the money. And you just when go... Was, when was this? Uh, it was about four years ago, I think. Quite recently then. It, it was. And Flower is, 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 has got a, a book and a community. But um, someone read the at Christmas, I think, or just before Christmas, somebody was, um, a film producer was, was looking at, on Amazon at front covers of books about dogs because they thought, we want to do a film about dogs. And they fell in love with Fleur's picture. And that's it. They're, they're off. They're making, they're making the big movie about that's Fleur. That's, that's, that's great. Well, as yeah. you know, I review, I review films, so I'll have to review that for you. That's true. You do that for the Times. Is that right? You Not read... just for the Times, but oh, I, I, right. I review the London Film Festival for the Times and indeed do other reviews for them. But I also, I've reviewed films for uh, Dogs Today, I know. Yeah. Um, um, and a couple of reviews. Uh, coming up soon for you. Yes, uh, so I, I, I've also written my own films and had films on TV. So uh, I, I, I see movies and films not only from a writer's perspective, but also from a critic's perspective. Ooh. So I'll have to review the film about Fleur. Oh, well, we have to. We have to involve you in in these things, John, because there are a number of us mad people who love dogs who want mm. to make films and, and TV programs about. We dogs. must talk about that. Then. We must do that um because yes you can join our strange collective of um of people who really yes have got other jobs but like to um imagine that at some point they're going to create the films and the, the tv great, series we'd like to see so um yeah but it's nice to hear someone else thought flow was a good book and a good, a good oh, that's great. That, that, that that is that, that is good and uh, someone once said uh and some of your listeners might know exactly who it was i can't remember now that you, you sh we need to judge society by the way society treats its animals. Yes, definitely. Um, and uh, you, you saw what happened to Ceausescu in the end, it's probably true. Yes, I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, what was um, interesting was that the fact that there were so many people working to save the dogs at the same time other people were, you know, butchering them. But yeah. it, there's still a massive problem there. But hmm. let's get back to you, You. You've, you've, you found, I read somewhere that you took on all sorts of jobs to pay for, is it pupillage or? Yeah. It's not yeah, as simple I'm, as just doing a degree, is it? You have to, there's a lot more to it. To, to, it takes years. How, how did you do this? Well, yeah, I mean, again, as I, as I said to you at the beginning of our conversation, I took from an old work class uh, loving family, so we, did, but we didn't have money. I was lucky enough to get a full grant. In those days, local authorities yes. gave full grants for university courses. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then when I wanted to go to the bar, the money wasn't there. Uh, I'd got a few scholarships, uh, which provided some money, but certainly by no means enough. Mm. So my gap year effectively was working as a driver's mate on a furniture delivery. <laughs> and my goodness me, I've got some stories to tell. <laughs> uh, but an interesting story apart from what i'll give you two quick stories the first story um uh, it, it was the bane of my uh, existence during that year as a driver's delivery mate delivering wardrobes upstairs uh, <laughs> it, 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 people tend to imagine probably when they see a wardrobe in the bedroom what a lovely wardrobe in what a mm. lovely bedroom there are only a few people like me that when they see a wardrobe in a bedroom immediately thinks 
how do they get it up the stairs? Yes. And that's the way I've been blighted for life from my, <laughs> from, from my job, earning some money to come to the bar. But on one occasion, the wardrobe got stuck on, the, uh, on, on a bend. Yes. The, and I was at the top and John uh, was at the, John Smith, I remember his name now, was, 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 was at the bottom and it was jammed. Uh, and I was at the top with the, uh, the person who lived in the house, the lady, uh, and I'm not going to exaggerate. Uh, um, John Smith uh, went off to get help. And this, I was only about, God, uh, 19, 20, and quite a naive oh, 19, 20. Oh dear. Uh, and it's a propositional me. So, yeah, well, I don't mean kind of like, uh, you know, over the top, let's go ahead <laughs> or something. But you know, while you're up, uh, she's probably taking the, the proverbial, I don't know, but it didn't seem like it to me. Um, and it was like one of those carry on oh, off no. the wardrobe uh, films. Um, anyway, of course, nothing came of it, and thank God it didn't. And then on the other occasion, um, I was there looking uh, like the job I was doing, wearing overalls and that sort of thing, and gloves. And this rather, uh, how should I put it, uh, uh, I don't know, pretentious uh, man who I was delivering at the house to, took me aside and gave me a lecture as to, I should be thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and whether I had any ambitions. And it's, you know, just assumed I was of a certain thought, of a certain position <laughs> in life, uh, that he could give me some sort of lecture. And that, and that actually brought it home to me generally, how people do judge people by oh. their fear. Uh, and although, quite frankly, there's absolutely nothing wrong in spending your, your whole life delivering furniture. It's, a, it's an important job. Mm. Without it, we wouldn't have furniture in our homes. No. The point I'm making is that certain assumptions were made about me, yeah. uh, which he had no entitlement to make. And it, wow. it rather taught me a little bit about books and covers and not judging them. Yes. People can be so rude, can't they? I, 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 they can I'm, be so I'm, presumptuous. Yeah, that's horrid, isn't it? But you know, I mean, it wasn't so much horror. It was kind of like just kind of like a bit of an eye opener, you know. And, yes, uh, it, it's it's well, something it, that you store away you and store remember, away, and, and it, think, it stays with you and it lives uh, with you a little. And, and, um, it, and that you was one of the jobs. Else. Yeah. That was one of the jobs that I did and did a mixture mm. of other jobs. So uh, in my day, there wasn't a gap year mm. as such. There was just no. yeah, trying to earn mm. some money, and then I earned some money and managed to get it together to pay for my bar course and accommodation, of course, after it. And I, uh, uh, originally when I moved to London, I was in a hostel for homeless people. Oh, bless! And it was, oh my run, it was, run, it was called Ambrosden Hostel. Um, and it was in, uh, in, in Westminster. Uh, and I had a great time there, met some wonderful people. And when I say homeless, I don't, you know, I'm not talking about people, sadly, uh, uh, who have, for instance, they may have mental health issues or, or deprivation issues. Mm. Some of these people were simply passing through and just didn't have anywhere to stay. It was yes. more like a hostel, but it was called for the homeless. Oh, I don't, I don't want to overdo it. It, it was, it was effectively uh, a hostel. Um, but I, I, I met some great people there, um, and and, and um, some Italian people I remember, which ended up in me uh, backpacking around Italy that summer as a result of the people I'd met in the hostel. Oh, how lovely! So all this kind of coming together. In, in, in helping me earn money to come to the bar, uh, but also enjoying it along the way. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So at what point did you 
start earning as a as a lawyer and or is it i, I tell tell people listening because i i struggle to work out the difference because barrister means that you actually go into court and wear a wig and all that sort of stuff lawyer they don't necessarily i do, is that I'll show you right over there. oh this is this is the thing you wear as a barrister <laughs> as, you, as you as 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 you all know um, so I went, I also had a job at the Institute of Electrical Engineers. I was a, a filing clerk at the Institute of Electrical Engineers. And had some great fun there as well. Some of my happiest times. Um, then, I, then I was a clerk in a solicitor's office called Lane and Partners. I may still exist. And made some great friends there as well. And then finally, uh, got onto the bar course and trained to be a barrister. And uh, then I'm, uh, after you have pupillage, and then a tenancy, but the, but, but it, it, in my day when I when, when I was qualifying, the uh, uh, there was a big difference between being a solicitor and a barrister. If you were a barrister, you always were in court, or, or a lot of the time you were in court, depending on the work you were doing. Uh, as a solicitor, you'd be spending most of the time in your office preparing that. Well, things have changed now, uh, and, and 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 there's a lot more of cross fertilisation of work. A lot of solicitors now do court work. Uh, as well as, as solicitor advocates. Mm. There was a time in my career, after the first few years at the bar, when I was struggling, uh, and I was running out of money again. And I'd earned a little money writing, because I was having plays on in the theatre. But that yeah. was no way going to put the proverbial food on the table. Mm. And I then left the bar for a short period of time, and I was headhunted by a magic circle firm called Clifford Chance, a very big wow. international solicitor's firm called Clifford Chance. And I... I thought, well, look, you know, it's stability, it's a pension. I won't have to worry anymore about uh, a future as far as work's concerned or income's concerned or security's concerned. So I went to Clifford Chance to work as a lawyer. But it just wasn't for me because it meant me really being desk-bound. Uh, and I was involved with, uh, along with many others, in formulating the contracts for the Canary Wharf development, the telecommunications contracts, which, okay, if it kind of like, light your candle, great work, but for me it wasn't the sort of work that I wanted to do. So then I went back to the bar and that's really when my trajectory upwards started. So the idea of being in court, it, there is a similarity there to being on the stage, isn't there? You need to have presence, you need to, but unlike um, an actor, you don't have a script, do you? So it's it's much more difficult. So what was what were you like when you began because i must have think this must be one of the most terrifying things in the world especially if you've i don't know if because i read somewhere that you were slightly bullied at some stages more than, more than slightly I've, I've written about it widely um uh, 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 your first question is it frightening i wouldn't use the word frightening um but like any actor uh, using the same analogy the best actors always have a bit of nerves before they start their performances. And I think if you don't have nerves, either before you start a case or before you start a performance, then mm. you're the worse for it. Even yes. now, for instance, when I'm sitting in the courtroom with the jury being sworn in, and let's hope I'll continue to be sworn in, apart from this government trying to take away jury Yes, jobs, that's true. Which is a very yeah. frightening thing. People don't mm. understand what they're going to lose and it's taken away. Everyone should be very aware the government are trying to take away jury trials. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when a jury trial started, 
and jury were being sworn in every single time. I must have been hundreds of cases. That little flutter in the stomach. Yeah. Uh, 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 telling mm. you your trial now is about to start. And I'm sure surgeons have it when they're about to perform an operation. Uh, however, on the, uh, on the top, barristers and surgeons or whatever look cool and calm, and they should be, because you don't want to see someone of that standard uh, panicking when your life's in their hands for different reasons. No. Uh, underneath, I'm pretty sure that we all share that same fission of excitement, mm. okay, call it fear, if you will. Mm. It's positive fear. Adrenaline, anyway. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's adrenaline, which soon grows, I might add. It doesn't mm -hmm. grip you. I mean, obviously, actors have problems if it grips them throughout the performance, and that's called stage fright. And that can be yeah. crippling, frankly. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm just talking about a little moment before something starts. It's always there, and it's always there to drive you. But I've never had, even when I was starting, that crippling fear that persists over and above that, because I've always thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoy the element of uncertainty that the case brings with it. Mm -hmm. The element of having to, it's most important, because I teach advocacy, as you've alluded to. I yes. teach barristers now advocacy, uh, and, and how to ask questions and how to deal with cases. And, and, and a case is a long-haul thing. It, in some cases, it can last months, let alone weeks. Yes. Um, but you just, you take that overall plan to plot your way through a case, and to, in many respects, enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. it is, it, 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 you can't ever forget, though, you're dealing with someone's life. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll use this analogy. If a surgeon does an operation on someone mm -hmm. and it's successful and gives them, say, two or three years of extra life, that's quite properly considered wonderful. Yeah. Quite properly. If I do a case and get a person not guilty on murder, I've saved them 30 years and, well, no, probably to reduce. Let's be realistic. I've saved them potentially at least 20 years of their life. Yes. So, and, and of course, before I qualified, criminal barristers like me, if they lost, would see their client hanged. Whoa, yeah, that's scary. So the jeopardy there for, for a barrister, particularly when you're doing mm. senior type of work, it, it's the same as a surgeon. And sometimes you're giving your client, if you're successful, more than a surgeon does, not if it's a competition. Yes. You, know, so, you, you, you give extra two years if you take up the tumour, say, but you can give an extra 25 years yeah. if you're not guilty. Have you always been um, the defence, or have you ever been the prosecutor? No, I've prosecuted in the past. I oh. used to prosecute murders. I used to prosecute serious crime. I was on the Attorney General's A-list of prosecutors. I also, right. still do, prosecute health and safety cases, whereby I'm instructed at times uh, to prosecute that. Not, not, not as much now, but you have to be on a certain list to do it. Mm -hmm. But in the answer to your question, yes, I've prosecuted in the past, some of the most serious crimes. How do you manage not to get, well, I don't know if you do, how do you, I mean, I, I find I'd get terribly involved, um, but there must, you must have to have some detachments because- You, you, have, you have to have detachment. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't feel for your clients and that you don't understand and empathize. We're, we're human beings and, and, and thank goodness that never changes. Well, not most of us anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and you always have to have empathy for your clients, and some of the cases I'm dealing with, more than that, absolute and utter sympathy. And I tweeted recently, in mm. fact, only a few days ago, that every now and then you represent someone that you're actually proud of. 
Uh, but, 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 but ultimately, if you're going to do your professional job, you owe it to your clients to have that, uh, uh, that standalone, isolated, unemotional approach. Because mm -hmm. again, I'll go back to the medical analogy. It's, you know, the, the medical professional, the legal professional, always talked about hand in hand. There's so many medico-legal societies because, in many respects, the way we're trained, the attitudes we're given, the mm -hmm. ethics we're given. Although we don't have a Hippocratic oath, we have certain oaths and courses of conduct that ethically mm -hmm. we follow. Uh, 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 but, 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 but the thing is, you have to have that detachment, and, mm -hmm. and without it. You're, you're shortchanging your client. Yes. So you 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 went up the ranks. So that means that you um, see all my all my knowledge is from watching dramas on television. It's terrible, is it? But then again, I may have been watching the ones where you advise on. So yeah, if that's I, true, I've then... written some, let alone advise on. Oh, have you? Oh, oh, yeah. you uh, there's you one you can all watch still on YouTube at the moment. It's yeah. Still it's called The Advocates. Right. The second series of The Advocates called Above the Law. It's our Rachel Vice, Michael Kitchen. Ooh. Wow. Uh, and it was made in the early 90s. So it's still out there. The Advocates Above the Law, a three part job with Rachel Vice in it. I also wrote a film called The Law Lord for the BBC. Uh, and so, you know, I, I not only advise, I've advised Silent Witness on the law, as you know, mm -hmm. um, but I actually write as well. Gosh. There can't be that many people who are a QC who also do that. I mean, are, are you quite an unusual QC? I, 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 I often think of myself as being, hopefully, um, learning a lot from the late John Mortimer, who wrote Rumpole of the Bailey, for instance. I loved Rumpole. <laughs> and was also an extremely eminent QC. And also, yes, I'd say, a number of lawyers also write. Mm. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm it, by no means unique. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, it's something I've always done, always done since, as I said at the top of this chat, since mm -hmm. I was a kid. So, so your career was was going great guns. You were um, you were not having to live in a hostel, so you're obviously earning a bit more. How did you get involved in politics and also sort of your charitable and sort of pro bono -y side of things? How did all that evolve? Uh, the politics, I come from a, 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 a Labour family from the start. Mm -hmm. my, my grandfather, who was a bare fist fighter on the towpaths of Wolverhampton, illegal I might add, he used to say they always fought at the apex of the canals so they could all run in different directions with the police. Oh, wow, that's clever. He was, uh, was, <laughs> was also a strong trade unionist in the amalgamated union of engineers. Uh, my uh, great great aunt, uh, was a suffragette. She lived till she was 104. Uh, and, and I remember talking to her a lot about general social issues. She was mm -hmm. a midwife. She used to tell the story, well, I not tell the story, I was there. When she was 100, she had some of the babies she delivered come to her birthday party oh, who were in the 60s and 70s. Her babies. Uh, anyway, I, I digress slightly, but, but I, I come from a, a, a generally a Labour family. Yes. Not that any pressure was put on me to go one way or the other, it certainly wasn't. No. Uh, my mum was, was pretty strong Labour. Uh, and uh, I've always been uh, uh, very strongly uh, of the view that everyone should have a fair chance in life. Mm -hmm. I've always been against innate privilege. 
Mm. I've always been against people being given something where they've not had to earn it. I'm just, these are basic principles. This is how mm. I was thinking as a young man. Yeah. The basic principles and against bullying, as you know, which I, which I continue to be. Mm. Uh, and my experiences in life, along with what I'd learned with my family, was that, 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 that I felt at home within the Labour Party. Yes. Then I, I fought Northwest Surrey in 1987 which is a no-hope seat, and there's a great piece by Maeve Kennedy, who's still out there at the moment, The Guardian uh, reporter, who did a piece in The Guardian about me, uh, I think September the 7th, 1987, uh, or something, because I was looking at it recently. They'd never, well, they hadn't saved their deposit for years. No. So we saved our deposit. Then in 1990, in the 1990s, I think I'm a Watford Labour councillor, Right. And also in 92, I contested Amber Valley in, uh, in, in Derbyshire, a seat which had a Tory majority of nine, of, of about, yeah, about 9,000, Philip Oppenheim's seat, and I lost it by 712 votes. Ooh. 712 votes. Then I, I, I took that, that particular seat then went uh, on the old women shortlist, which is fair enough. I totally understand that and supported it, and therefore I couldn't contest that seat again no. uh, and and indeed Judy Malibur who, who, who came on after me won the seat so Amber Valley ultimately then went Labour yes. um, but then there was that, that was a time in the in the early to mid 90s when my legal career then was beginning to, to yeah. was beginning to move mm. and although I could do the writing and the law together I'm afraid even I could not do the politics and it wouldn't have been fair to my constituents either potential constituents had I done so. So I decided to kind of like become a backroom boy on the politics and advise behind the scenes, which I do now, as you know. Mm. Uh, from the politics grew my involvement with lobbying and charitable stuff. I was always very, as you, you won't be surprised to hear, uh, anti-hunting mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And it's not just the class issue. There's a lot of people involved with hunting, particularly on you know, if they're on the quad bikes and hunt followers, were, were, were not part of the top brigade. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a class thing, but it was, an, it was an animal cruelty thing that I felt. Um, and I became chair of the League Against Cruel Sports and was ultimately a longing service, serving chair in its history. And during that time, we got the Hunting Act 2004, which we'll talk about no doubt in a moment, which criminalised the act of hunting with hounds. But I'm not just into animals. I, I feel that you, 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 you've got to be rounded. You can't be yes. pro-animal and anti-human. Yes. Uh, uh, in my view, uh, uh, well, some people can if they want to, but I'm, you know, I'm not. And I've always been a, a, a staunch believer and advocate of human rights. Yes. I wrote a book uh, which was called Cruelty, still it's called Cruelty, an analysis of Article 3, which is the law on what is cruelty to human beings. So I've worked, I've, I've written one of the leading books on cruelty to human beings. I've also contributed to books and campaign against cruelty to animals as well. Uh, and from that, it's got me involved with charities such as I'm a trustee of a charity called Young Citizens, uh, mm -hmm. which encourages young people uh, to, to, to understand what their rights are, encourages young people to understand what their rights are in accordance with the law, what their rights are in a democracy in politics. Uh, we're presently having a number of committee meetings at the moment talking to young people about how they interpret their rights and place in society post-COVID, post-Brexit, yes. and that sort of thing. 
So I, I, I work very heavily with young citizens. It's a tremendous, I commend mm -hmm. it, a tremendous charity. And I'm also uh, working very closely with uh, uh, the great Eduardo Goncalves on uh, the campaign uh, to ban trophy hunting. Yes, and I've just written him what could be, I hope, a very, very important legal advice on the legality of trophy hunting in certain areas of the world. So it, it, it's all been a sort of osmosis uh, process. I, mm. I never made a sort of conscious decision, I'm going to do this or, or, no. or do that. Uh, okay. But uh, I, think, I, I think you have to be consistent. You can't be anti-animal cruelty, which I am, and not be anti-human cruelty, yeah. which I am. I don't think we've ever talked about this, but my, um, I did history as a degree. My I love history. My dissertation was on the history of cruelty in Victorian England. Wow, I'd like to see that. It, oh, it's rubbish. But, but what I did discover, though, was that um, we defined it in Victorian times, um, mainly to make it easier for uh, making the common man work in factories. So basically everything that they did was cruel but not putting children in factories, that wasn't cruel. That came much later. So we, we decided to make animal cruelty cruel to stop festivals that disrupted the working day. Um, and then it was much later that we decided children were, um, well, there was such thing as, as you know, cruelty of putting eight-year-olds, you know, in very dangerous situations and making them work very long hours. Yeah. But, but the, it was also a history of the RSPCA, which um, was interesting, and it has that sort of changed. That sort of changed my. A lot of people who are involved in the RSPCA have no idea of the history of the RSPCA because it's something. No, I'm not sure I am as well. Actually, what's the what? Well, they, they were anti-Semitic. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> they they were very strange at the beginning. They were so interested in getting the royal assent that the secretary, Mr. Gompeters. Um, was was embarrassing to them because he was Jewish. So they um, made a rule that you had to be Christian, and he oh, killed himself. How old was this? This was at the beginning of the RSPCA, and it was right at the start. He raised all the money to get them going. Um, but the very first thing that they did was they brought in some legislation to stop disabled people being helped by their dogs. <laughs> so it was a very odd, murky beginning, and I can see why they don't highlight it because it was. Um, even to a non-journalist, because in those days I was just a, you know, a kid, I, I was reading this thinking, well, I, I took an awful lot of looking because they're, they're not easily found, these documents. But um, the more I found, the more I... And it, it, the evolution of them wearing uniforms, and there was, there was a split right at the beginning of, do you become like a uniformed police force that you know, tells people off for being cruel, or do you educate? And they, they used to fight the two sides. And sometimes the police force side was in ascendance and sometimes the education. And, um, and that goes on till this day. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you should mention the police, for instance, because uh, I, as you know, I'm also a patron of Born Innocent, yes. uh, which, is, which is an organization, uh, a lobbying organization, which campaigns on behalf of dogs and particularly uh, for the reform of uh, legislation around breed-specific legislation, which I'm sure your listeners are, are aware of, it relates to the identification uh, of a so-called oh. dangerous dog by the, by the cut of its jib, for want of, for want of a better expression. And Born Innocent uh, are, are one of the leaders in, 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 in that particular campaign. 
Uh, and they, more than me, I'm just simply the patron, but they work very closely with the police. And it's yeah. the point you're making about people who have to enforce the law, but also who need to be educated in the nicest possible way about the law. And one of the things that Born Innocent do is work closely with the police to give lectures and seminars, as well as doing the sort of frontline stuff about saving dogs. And they save dogs as well. Some dogs on the edge of being euthanized. But apart from that real, real hard-nosed work, they also go around uh, lecturing and giving seminars, not into the police, but to the fire service. Yes. Uh, on breed-specific legislation, yes. how to uh, properly deal with dogs, trying to educate them that staffies are lovely, wonderful dogs, and pit bulls, I should say, are wonderful, loving dogs, etc., etc., and are effectively uh, prejudicially treated uh, mm. and stigmatised. And Born Innocent go around talking to the police, and it has to be said that many police forces, once they actually hear the facts, are, are far more uh, sympathetic. And it is interesting that the, the police are getting more and more educated through the work of Born Innocent and other organisations, mm. as to the, the appalling effect of the Dangerous Dogs Act yes. and the specific legislation, uh, and indeed of the wonderful animals that are um, these dogs are, uh, so they're treated far more fairly. It is interesting, actually, it's a question I'd throw out, I'll probably get the answer straight away. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, there's a recent NHS list of dogs, uh, mm -hmm. most, uh, uh, m the, the corporate dogs, most, most to blame when people come in with a dog bite. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, top of the list, Jack Russells and Labradors. Yes. That's not because they're dangerous dogs, don't get me wrong, That's, you, you, you can get them in, in, in play, as, it, as mm -hmm. it were. The point I'm making is the victimisation and the oh, stigmatisation of, 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 of staffies uh, and other, other dogs like that is quite appalling when, when, when statistically, even on National Health Service statistics, the, 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 they are not oh, a, it, a, a, a subject, it, they shouldn't be subject to criticism. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? We, because the Mar magazine started so long ago, we were we were around about the same time as um, was it nineteen ninety one? I think the original Dangerous Dogs Act. Well, it was a knee jerk. If I kind of it was a knee jerk response by John Major's government. There'd been a a series of back to back within days of very tragic incidences of of, of children uh, and, and yes. young children, some tragically being killed as a result of, of an incident. Yes, and. Uh, the worst legislation, and, and I, I, as you know, I'm helping to draft the pet theft legislation, so I know about legislation. The worst legislation is knee-jerk legislation. Oh, gosh. I I, I the terrorist legislation sometimes has been put out in the past, during, particularly during the last 10 years or so. It was quick legislation, it was bad legislation, yes. and was soon repealed. Dangerous Dogs Act was knee-jerk legislation, and in actual fact, most, this is the problem, most MPs know it was knee-jerk legislation. Yes. Most MPs know that the 1991 Act uh, uh, is bad law. But you know what? The problem is this. Most politicians are absolutely terrified about being responsible for repealing it, being responsible for breed-specific legislation to be in some way made fairer, because yes. they are absolutely terrified that two days after they do it, tragically, a baby will be killed yeah. by a dog, or a child yeah. will be killed by a dog, and suddenly the media will turn on the MPs. Yeah. So we, 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 we need we, we need legislators and MPs to throw up there, 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, but, but also, we also need the media and, and, and the nation at large. Not necessarily people that are listening to this, because I think most people listening to us are well-informed and well-educated anyway. But the nation at large to understand uh, mm -hmm. that there's a problem with the act, and we shouldn't keep the act simply for fear of, 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 of a tragic event happening. But sorry, I cut across you again there. I was going to say, um, it, I don't know if you've, or I don't know why you would have read, but Kenneth Baker's um, autobiography. No, I haven't actually. There is a bit about the Dangerous Dogs Act and how it came about, and he wrote in there that... Um, people were baying for blood, basically. There were, there were people asking for all of the pit bulls to be killed. Yes. I mean, so it was watered down on, on what was being urged. Hysteria. And one of the, one of the people that, well, one of the organisations that were saying kill the pit bulls was the Kennel Club. And that's in the book. And the, they said, you know, and I, I was working at the Kennel Club at the time, and I remember it coming up. And we had people in charge in those days who didn't have dogs and didn't really understand. And because they didn't register the pit bull, because it wasn't on their books, they thought, oh, well, let's get rid of the pit bull. And um, yeah, and then everyone, everyone else be okay. But that was the foot in the door for breed specific legislation, which was a really no other bit of legislation judges um, guilt on looks. Oh, tape measure decides whether or not a dog is dangerous and that's just so ludicrous absolutely mad isn't it I mean, well it is ludicrous it's on the looks it's on the length of the body it's even on the length of the tail it's 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 absolutely ludicrous uh and and and, and it, it really saddens me but on the subject of legislation and being brave it just reminds me of a story during the hunting act for instance because as i said i was chair of the league and we were having a lot of discussions and debates, this is one of my behind the scenes stories, I promise now. Okay. We were having discussions and debates behind the scenes with, 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 with the late Labour government ministers um, about the Hunting Act. This was before Tony Blair committed to it. And, and, and apparently, I've read Tony Blair's uh, uh, autobiography and he says in it, it was a mistake to admit to it. Uh, but there again, hail mistakes. Uh, we don't think it was, but that, there it is. But anyway, we're in the process of, of, of trying to argue the cause. And it was a real rough battle. I was on the a Radio 4 documentary a few years ago called uh, Reunion uh, with Sue McGregor, where people were reunited that were on the opposite sides of courses. And we we're still having a go at each other then. So the, the, <laughs> the blood was still up then. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I, I had a meeting, uh, a number of meetings behind the scenes with government ministers at the time. And I remember this, the minister said to me, uh, John, you're not going to get the hunting act. It's not gonna happen. Right. We will offer you regulated hunting, it's the truth. We'll offer you regulated hunting, whereby hunting has to uh, uh, adopt itself to uh, severe regulation, but we're mm. not gonna give you the hunting act. And if you don't accept that, then uh, you, you'll get nothing. And so I, I said, I said, I, the League Against School Sports, I think it was, it was established in 1923. I said, I am prepared, and I think I can take my members with me to take that organization back to 1923, ground zero, and we'll campaign again for criminalizing hunting, and we'll achieve it. I'm not gonna sell us out down the line now and regulated hunting. Because if I do that now, we'll never have the momentum that we've got now, ever again. 
Yes. So sometimes you have to be brave. So, and that's the sort of bravery we'd want to see from MPs when it comes to breed-specific legislation, the Dangerous Dogs Act. To, to, to stick to what's important, mm -hmm. be prepared to take the flak if it happens. Yes. Uh, and I was prepared to take the flak that we lost the Hunting Act. Mm. But I would, I would, I would, my argument would always have been, but at least we'll be in good shape to get it again sometime. Might not be in my lifetime. Yes. Whereas if we, if I'd have accepted regulated hunting there and then, mm. we wouldn't have gone anywhere near the hunting act politically. No. They wouldn't have done ever again. So let the record show. I said no deal, as they say. And then uh, a few months later, we got the hunting act. Let, let me just say something briefly about the hunting act. Mm -hmm. All this talk I sometimes hear about the Hunting Act isn't working. People are still hunting. But what I say to that, Beverly, is very simple. The Theft Act 1968 made burglary a criminal offence. Yes. There's a lady down the road from where I live that was burgled a couple of nights ago. Oh dear. It didn't abolish burglary. No. It criminalised it. Yes. And the Hunting Act point. will not stop people hunting. No. But the, or it might stop a lot of people hunting, actually, right-minded members of society who obey the law. Yes. Uh, but those that don't obey the law, society is saying you are a criminal if yes. you don't obey the law. And that's an important sea change in society's attitude. Before the Hunting Act, it wasn't criminal. After the Hunting Act, it was criminal. Mm. And, it, and, and it goes back to what I was saying to you a, a little earlier. You judge society by the way treats its animals. And society post-hunting act mm. is far healthier society yes. for saying that hunting is criminal yes. than it was beforehand when it said hunting wasn't criminal. And that to me means the hunting act, yeah, there's other things that can be done. Mm. But the hunting act was a very, very important cog. Very important cog. And I think the Dangerous Dogs Act um, is also is it the only piece of legislation apart from the terrorist act where you're guilty unless you're proven innocent? So it's the uh, it, 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 it's not actually. Uh, there there are a number of offences. Just be a lawyer. There are a number of of, of of offences which what's called reverse the burden of truth. Right. Or reverse the burden, not of truth. Reverse the burden. Reverse. Right. Truth, reverse the evidential burden. It's one of those that does. Uh, to a degree, the hunting act does as well. Uh, 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 so it's not, but nonetheless, uh, 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 it, it, it's, it's unusual. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if you've come across this, but in other countries, they do things slightly differently. And I think in a way, it would, it would help if, if we knew that we're, well, what we're doing is, is, is really very, very odd. Because in, in France, if, um, and there was a, a case where a baby was killed by a German shepherd, and they, if it had been in, the, in, in Britain, we'd have had the dog taken away and killed. Um, we would have had everyone weeping and wailing and feeling sorry for the mum. In France, they took the dog away to be assessed and they prosecuted the, the adult in charge for poor supervision. Well, you see, that, that, that is interesting, you see. I mean, obviously, I can't comment on the French. No, no, of course. That, that, that's for them. But one of the other things that Vaughan Innocent are very keen on is emphasising that sometimes it's not the dog's behaviour that, that is at fault, 
it's it's the way the dog is looked after or, or yes, treated definitely. and that sometimes doesn't have to be cruel treatment for mm. instance uh, we all know well certainly people listening to this will know if you leave a dog alone with a young child that young child starts poking and prodding the dog or say putting a blanket over its head uh, and frightening the dog the dog could well snap the, 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 the do uh, usually after a period of warning uh, most dogs in my experience and uh, always give a period of warning first before they even use their, their tooth, which, 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 which again, I always say people shouldn't be afraid of the growl. The growl is telling you, I've had enough of this, I yes. don't want trouble, I yes, don't sir. want trouble, but just mm -hmm. listen out, folks. So you should never, in my view, stop a dog growling because it's, a, yeah. it's, it's an important warning sign and it's a dog saying, I don't want trouble, so listen yes. to me. Um, uh, but, 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 but again, warning us into very, very into uh, educating, for want of better expression, and talking about the proper way to treat yes. treat the dog. And if you expose mm -hmm. a dog to a situation where it is going to be feeling vulnerable, or even afraid, then yes. these things will happen. And it's quite right, talking generally now, that sometimes the owner should be looked at, uh, yes. especially as to the position they place the animal. Mm -hmm. Well, very often, because um, I, I was, there's a lady in um, America that analyzes the dog bite statistics um, mm. and works out what you know, the, the story behind the headlines. So works out what, what situation results in a, in a really bad bite. Um, and very often the dog that does damage, does damage to its own family. So by not bringing the dog up to be sociable and, and, and gentle, it's them that is often the, well, their own, their own kin is the victim. So it's, it's, there is a, sometimes a culture of exaggerating the, 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 the macho side of the dog without realizing that they, they've, got to, they've got to have kindness if they're going to have the dog around the kids. And they're certain if they're going to leave it with grandchildren, grandparents supervising. And this is, seems to be where it all goes wrong. It's lack of adequate supervision. So somebody not actively supervising and a dog that isn't no, perhaps normally not allowed in the house, suddenly getting into the house. Those and understanding. Like, I think one of the reasons we, we didn't have a dog, you go back to my first cats. One of the reasons we didn't have a dog when I was a kid, apart from the fact that we really weren't in this position to look after a dog, was that my mom, when she was a very, very young child, was bitten by their pet dog. Yes. And that pet dog bit her when she was being cradled on, my, on her father's knee. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you can understand now, this would, this, this would be going back to the 1930s. So let's get perspective. This happened in the 1930s. Uh, and my mom then was always nervous about dogs. But you could see nowadays, with, with more modern eyes, the dynamics that were happening there. The mm -hmm. dog saw my mother on my, on my grandfather's knee and uh, dog behaviourists will have a field day and explain what was going to the dog's head. Mm -hmm. um, and and, and mm -hmm. my mother then for the rest of her life was always very, not, not you know, she always loved patty dogs and all that sort of thing, but it was always very wary. wary. Mm. Yes, it's, um, and I, I think also that there's a Disneyfication of dogs to an extent where people imagine that without putting any work in, that the dog will be almost like a human yeah. and, and it's a lack of understanding of, of, of what is the joy of a dog can yeah. sometimes make it a dangerous situation but it's 
they'd, they'd be in the same situation with it, no matter what type of dog it was. If, if you acquire a dog because you don't feel safe, mm. and some people, that's their motivation for getting a big, strong dog, is so they feel safer. But it's very often them that gets bitten. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. You have to, uh, you, you have to I think, uh, uh, respect the dog. I don't mean respect it to the, to the mm. sense that it rules the house. Uh, but respect it's a dog and respect that it has canine behavioural, perfectly healthy, healthy canine behavioural mm -hmm. instincts. Yes. All this, this old fashioned talk, for instance, about, you know, you can uh, show that you're the master by giving your dog oh, food and then taking it away again. I mean, I just think it's mm -hmm. appalling, you know, I mean, quite frankly, if someone put a food in front of me and took it away again, I'd probably bite them, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, regardless of whether that's the right thing to do and 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 and, and I, you know you don't do that you know i mean as we often say but as i say lawrence loves his food he's talking and we, we also leave him to enjoy it you know i mean it's, and, and it's this outmoded thing about not understanding dogs that you're in some way exerting your dominion over them by taking their food away i mean how how primitive is that that dominance stuff is really that's, that's not dominance i mean you know, you know dogs Dogs may be frightened of dominance, but, but, but that's no basis. Well, humans are frightened of dominance, but it's no basis for a good relationship. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very, um, now that there's lots of science-based training that's positive-based, um, but unfortunately the stuff that ends up on telly tends to be um, the more sort of dramatic, um, sort of, um, yes, aggressive stuff. But we, we, we digress. Um, next week, we're talking to Jordan Shelley, who got into trouble um, as a young boy. Um, he ended up on television on one show and he'd been watching um, a certain Mexican chap dog trainer on telly and had picked up some of the habits of the dominance training and um, basically the whole welfare world joined together to get him off the telly because those methods in the wrong hands. It's, it's, not, it's, it's also kind of like you don't even really, I mean, okay, there might be in extreme circumstances where you raise your voice to a dog. There mm. might be in extreme circumstances, but nine times out of ten, the dog doesn't understand noise. The only thing the dog understands is that there's a problem with noise. And as mm. far as Lawrence is concerned, we'll just run away and cower. And that's no way to develop a relationship. Yeah. Uh, plus the fact, I think I was reading it in Dogs Today, actually. Oh, uh, didn't you do a piece on the pros and cons of saying no? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I read that with a great deal of interest. In the, in the, and and, and I, I actually fall on, on the side of not using the word no, unless, of course, it's a panic situation. Mm. You know, he's about to leave overboard on, on the cross uh, uh, channel of ferry. I might say no, Lawrence. Uh, 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 but on the other hand, I, I actually, from reading your piece or your, one of your colleagues' pieces in Dogs, they do fall on the side of not to use the word no. Because yeah. they don't understand what that it's means. Isn't it? and I'll tell you something else. I don't know whether people listening to this have dogs as sneaky as lurchers, but nine <laughs> times out of ten, when something happens, they do it kind of like when you're not there anyway. Oh, yeah. And so when we come in and find paper strewn all over the floor or the cushion ripped to pieces, it probably happened half an hour ago, and he hasn't done a clue what he'd done wrong by someone yeah. saying no half an hour later. You know? No, totally. Totally pointless, yeah. And everyone says they look guilty. No, they don't look guilty. They look scared because they know exactly. they oh, associate uh, uh, you coming home with being grumpy. Which if uh, they absolutely, absolutely, yeah, they're, they're very clever dogs. And and I think that's the thing is we 
we the more you get to know them the more the more complex they are and the more you realize there's so much more you could do if you um had the time and in lockdown we should have all been training our dogs to do amazing things but well, on the subject of lockdown one thing i'm worried about is is, is separation anxiety oh yes uh, mm. me from Lawrence. no no uh, uh in the sense that he's got you he's okay i think it's lola's probably gonna be lola does have separation anxiety Yes. Uh, when Charlotte, not necessarily with me, but with Charlotte. So when she, I've seen it when I've been left in the house and Charlotte say goes to the shops, Lola will sit outside the door and just wait for her. Well, you know, she's sleeps, but she's by the door. Yes. Um, and with us all being around our dogs over the last few months with the lockdown, there are a number of dogs, I think, probably not Lawrence, but maybe Lola, but they're going to have real separation anxiety problems. Definitely. And I think, um, but I think a lot of people are going to try and argue that they should continue to work from home because I think an awful lot of people <laughs> <prepare> it, don't they? <laughs> but yeah. They're shielding their shih tzu. Oh yes, it needs doing. But, um, no, but we've involved you in other, other campaigns as well, haven't we, John? Because we... You've kept me busy since I met you. Yes, I, I'm afraid I've um, yeah, rather abused the friendship. <laughs> um, one of them didn't hasn't really got to fruition yet. The thing about assistance dogs, which the yes. law is incredibly vague about what is an assistance dog, and it's yes. still going to stay that way for a little bit longer because it just got terribly confusing. As we had to... a few meetings, didn't we, about that? Oh, many, many, many. Yeah. Meetings. And the pro the problem is, I, th I think it was difficult to get everyone to agree the same thing around the table, which is often, often oh, the yeah. situation. But that's not so much a, a problem with the people. That's a problem with the, the state of play. It's open. It's open to interpretation. I think at the, the the end of it, um, the the biggest stumbling block was, we. I think everyone roughly agreed that you needed a test to say mm. that the person was um, had a need for an assistance mm. dog. So it wasn't just saying the dog was. I don't know. A, um, I don't know. A Mars bar detection dog or something. You know, because people didn't make up sort of things but that the dog actually was a medical need or a psychological need for this dog um that was uh, and that the dog was assessed as being not a risk to society in any way it was going to start biting people in asda so um the, the problem went was how do you say who's a good person to assess and then that uh, we, that was another thing that was found to be in a disarray because we don't have any official way of, of um, well, quantifying who is a good dog trainer or a good behaviourist. And, and I know one of the things that I was concerned about during our discussion was also the treatment and the care of the assistance dog as a dog as well. Oh yes, that, that came up a lot, that, yeah. um, you know, is it fair? Um, and there is burnout in assistance dogs. Um, uh, it is a, a really, uh, and some, some dogs adore it and some dogs are deeply stressed by the amount of um, emotional support they have to give so but ultimately I think we, we would have nutted it out if we'd had a few more years <laughs> we, we, we may return to it when you get a spare moment yes um, but it, it wasn't as easy a fix as it looked on the outset um, because we ran into this um, regulation problem because until you sort out the dog training side of it you can't sort out the assistance dog Absolutely. Side. It, 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 it's nonetheless it's something that's in need of attending to definitely and when you started looking at it and you looked on it on a global scale um, other countries are doing it so much better what well, a surprise but well, in in Aust like COVID, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. Well, in Australia, 
it's seen not as a charitable thing because in this country it's all a bit quirky isn't it there's charities that provide assistance dogs yeah and it, it, you know you have to wait in the line to, to you know wait till yeah. you you know somebody bestows on you a, a, an assistance dog in australia it's a right and it's part of just like you might have a wheelchair you yeah. have a right to yes the government will spend some money on us on an assistance dog and to in order to attract the grant there's accreditation so so it sorts itself out. But, but, but it's, it's but, a great idea. <laughs> but but this will lead on to our discussion on, on the pet theft uh, work we're doing. Because I know your analogy there of an assistant dog in a wheelchair was meant to be an analogy in a certain way. But uh, wheelchairs are property and assistant dogs are animals. And one of the important things yeah. that I was always arguing for when we were talking about assist, the assistance dog issue was that we always must remember that they are not chattels and tools to assist human beings. No. That they are sentient animals that assist yeah. human beings. And one yeah. of my great concerns was that that should never, ever be lost. And that brings mm -hmm. us on to the pet that thing, because the work we've all been doing, uh, you, Dan, Debbie, and many others, uh, on, on, on the pet theft issue is very important because I don't know where your, your listeners have, have seen the discussion we had uh, at the Westminster debate. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we've shared it, but it, it was it was quite long, wasn't it? So it I think was, people, yes. yes. Um, the transcript was interesting because I, I don't know if you read that. Transcript. You should do the edited highlights of it. You should do the edited yes, highlights. But the, some of the things that they got wrong in the transcript were hilarious because they, they, instead of saying Kent police, they thought it was camp police. Could it work? Government officials. They got yeah. Carrie's name wrong. So I, I just think, you know, well, who in Parliament doesn't know the, you know, the, the girlfriend of the Prime Minister? No, I, I, I know. But, the, but the, the, the point there, uh, the important issue here is that uh, animals, as far as the theft back are concerned, particularly pets, the dogs, horses, whatever, which is primarily dogs, whatever anyone says, and cats as well, but dogs a lot. Uh, they're treated in the law under the Theft Act as property. Yes. The law treats our pets as property. Mm. And people are sentenced when they steal our pets on the basis they've stolen a, a laptop or they've stolen a, a telephone. And what we're arguing for, you, me, Dan, Debbie, the lot of us, and Freya as well, who was extremely mm. impressive, I thought, uh, tragically still looking for her stolen dog. So anyone that got any news about Freya's dog, please yes. let, let the police know. Yes. Uh, 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 but one of the things we're fighting against is to change the law so that when people steal pets, the sentence is higher. And, yeah. and, and it can be higher because it's aggravated because it's a pet, a sentient animal that may also provide assistance, Yes, but has been taken. I mean, there are separate offences of stealing a cycle. Yeah. There are separate offences even of stealing wild mushrooms in the law. Yeah. But there's no separate offence with added extra increased sentencing powers for the stealing of a pet. The stealing of a dog, a cat or horse, the stealing of a dog is treated the same way as I'd steal your pedal cycle. Yeah. And, 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 and the sentencing rarely produces imprisonment. Rarely. And compared for, for instance, even in Scotland, where the sentencing powers, different legal system, where the sentencing powers are stronger, but particularly in places like Australia, Norway and elsewhere, 
where, where there's a realistic prospect of people going to prison if they yes. steal your pet. In this country, really, uh, it, it's very rarely. And what is really disappointing about this government, and we had a debate, didn't we, a year or so ago, when you had to almost yeah. restrain me. Yes, you were almost, almost off to, to, to rugby tackle Mr. Oh, you, well, you know, you know I'd, I'd actually drafted the bill along with others and, and advised on it, and I still do. To hear the MPs, and particularly the DEFRA ministers, totally misunderstanding it. And they still misunderstand it. They still think there's a discretion for the judges, which is there to use at will to send people to prison. As they, oh, you know, you hear the, the ministers say, well, come on, they can go to prison for seven years. Well, yeah, you can at the top of the range, but the top of the range is never hit. No. And what the, 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 the pet theft uh, sentencing bill wants to achieve is to make it far more of a real option of prison yes. uh, if you steal people's pets yes and uh, obviously w w you and i and others are fighting hard to make that go on the statute book well there's a little bit of a um well is it it's one of the warmest responses we've had so far mm -hmm. young tom who um Yes. The MP, yes. the Ipswich MP. He yes. seemed to be quite enthusiastic for, for taking this on and has written to the, is it the Justice Secretary? Uh, yes, Robert Buckland. I saw it today, uh, you were uh, putting on Facebook, you know, that uh, Tom seems to have the bit between his teeth on this one. So. But, you know, it's a good fast track for him to become very popular very quickly because... Um, as you know, it's motherhood and apple pie, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, he'll make his name. But um, in, in my constituency, which you very nearly would have been our MP. If oh. you, yeah, but um, Michael Gove is our MP. I see. Yeah, um, I tried to stand, actually, in the last election, but they, did, they didn't put me up. Um, I was going to... I was gonna, I'm a Labour Party member, yeah. too. On, but, um, well, we're all very sensible people on this uh, yeah. broadcast, obviously. But um, no, I didn't get a chance to stand against Mr. Gove, which would have been very funny. Because... I'd, I'd have moved houses to vote for you. <laughs> I would have certainly, and this is seriously, would have come down and campaigned for you. That would have been fantastic. But the, the thing was, I had stood next to Mr. Gove um, in 10 Downing Street um, Garden yes. when Lucy's Law had been agreed yes, by him, yes. because he'd, he'd um, very, I think that somebody has been doing some research and has worked out that animal welfare is tremendously popular with constituents and um, it's got magical powers of making us actually maybe like politicians a bit, even if we don't normally. <laughs> so um, I, I, all of a sudden, everything that was animal welfare was getting rushed through. Well, 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 well. Your, your, your analysis is spot on. One of the reasons it's considered, uh, this is statistical analysis, independent statistical analysis. One of the reasons, there are a number of reasons, Theresa May did so badly in that election uh, in 2017 was because she came out and, and supported fox hunting. It was extraordinary, it, wasn't it? It was a killer for them. It, it Absolute a... killer for them. And it, and, and, and it has to be said, ah, when I say our Labour Party, uh, we, we, we have a tremendous record on animal welfare, tremendous record. And our manifesto, which, 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 which you know, uh, uh, obviously was uh, involved with, to a degree, on, on animal welfare, um, was uh, extremely impressive, right to the extent of, for instance, dealing with circus animals, mm. uh, uh, from dogs to hunting, uh, the lot. 
uh, and we, we continue to put a really healthy animal welfare agenda there. Yeah. And there are a number of, of people, high-ranking people in the Labour Party, who are great champions of animal welfare. Yes. I know Angela Rayner very well indeed, mm. uh, the deputy leader, and she is a superb champion of animal welfare mm. uh, and, 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 and will support all animal welfare issues. So she's great to have on board. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, we've got her on board, for instance, with the uh, the trophy hunting stuff at the moment. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Which is gathering that momentum as well. needs to be sorted as soon as possible. But I, I think that the, the Tories have been having a sneaky look at that manifesto and stealing the animal welfare. Oh, again, you know. Working their way through the list. And um, it was nice to see it happening quickly. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying that Zoom debate. I, I did say, you know, you better hurry up because otherwise Mr. Starmer will, um, will, will get the glory. Um, because do you think, because um, Keir, as the leader now, is also a lawyer, isn't he? Or is he what, what, yes, what, Keir, what, Keir, what Keir, I mean, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a great fan of, 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 of Keir Starmer. I, I knew him during his time as a barrister, as a QC, uh, and when he was director of public prosecutions uh, towards the end uh, of that phase of his career, He's a man of great integrity, uh, and he's balanced, he's measured, he listens. Uh, and you can see that during the way he conducts himself with the uh, Prime Minister's questions. Fantastic, isn't he? I mean, even yesterday, when, when apparently, I didn't, I didn't listen to the debate, <laughs> when, when, when he said that the, that the government tried to do the right thing as far as COVID's concerned, that was a superb mm. response. Because what that means is, uh, is, firstly, you're not being destructive, you're being supportive in a time of national crisis. But the definition, as I tweeted earlier on today, of trying to do the right thing, the definition of trying to do the right thing is trying to do the right thing and failing, and the definition is incompetence. You know, I mean, so by saying trying to do the right thing doesn't mean that you're achieving the right thing. I, and, I, and, and I just think that kind of like encapsulates the balance mm -hmm. uh, and, and the maturity now that the clear adds to uh, frontline opposition politics. and. Uh, we're all, we're all the better for it. And uh, uh, as I say, being a man of integrity and with, with Angela there, a uh, champion of animal welfare, uh, I'm very proud to be a member of the party. Yes. Well, with a bit of luck, if, um, if it does um, suit agendas for us to have pet theft rushed mm. through, um, I'm sure everyone from cross party will will will, will vote for it. Because oh, of course they, the right of course they without, without, without a doubt. We've seen this, for instance, during the uh, Westminster meetings we've had on trophy hunting. Yes. The campaign to ban trophy hunting. I've had a number of uh, uh, Westminster uh, meetings, uh, which which I've attended, and and we've had everyone there from senior Labour politicians to Boris Johnson's father. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and Zach Goldsmith's been there as well. Now these are people who politically, I'll be honest with you, I've got no time for politically. I'm not mm. talking personally. I'm talking politically. Uh, 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 but nonetheless, there you have from Boris Johnson's father to senior Labour people all together focusing on uh, abol uh, abolishing trophy hunting and, and challenging yes. the government, which of course, the advice that I just provided to the campaign to ban trophy hunting only this week, hopefully will push the uh, issue very significantly forward. Well, it's all very promising, isn't it? Because I think that's the thing, is if we can find the things that we can unite on and make progress, um, it, it, you know, the, there are bigger things in the world at the moment that we can't resolve, but 
you know, if we can change the bits that we, we touch, then, um, you Look, know. You know, it, it, the fact of the matter is, particularly at the moment when Labour are in opposition, uh, you know, there's going to need to, there needs to be a consensus if you're going to get anything put through Parliament or a degree of a consensus. But mm. even if even if we were uh, in the majority, it's always nice to get things done through consensus. Yes. If if you possibly can, sometimes it is impossible. Yes. Uh, uh, but 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 uh, and, and sometimes you have to take the more uh, uh, warrior type approach to things. Yes. Uh, but yes. no, it, 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 I think the uh, British democracy has always thrived on consensus, uh, yeah. which, which has made it all the more an awful watch during the Brexit issue. Well, yes, it's a scary old time, isn't it? There's, um, there's many things that are not quite, uh, well, giving everyone sleepless nights, I suspect. But, um, but it's good to know, though, that animal welfare... Um, still finds time to be discussed even at these dreadful times. Oh, um, I'm just I just know it's like I'm rather dark. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's uh, getting late. Um, but, well, um, well, well, you, you say uh, 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 animal welfare issues being discussed even during these, uh, these, these, these difficult times. A lot of significant legislation in history uh, occurred during dark times. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, uh, Parliament has always had the ability to uh, a, a vote uh, for, uh, uh, I won't call them fringe issues, they're important issues, but issues which aren't necessarily dead central in inverted commas, COVID, Brexit, you know, World War Two or World War One. During all those periods, Parliament still voted for some uh, important legislation. So it, it, I don't think it's an excuse to say we're living in difficult and testing times, but no. certain legislation can't be put through. The certain legislation is easy. The pet theft sentencing bill actually is easy. All it needs is uh, an amendment uh, on an issue which simply says people who steal pets should potentially be more at risk of going to prison. Mm. And it can be done. And I simply to this day do not understand why the government, I don't mean Tory MPs, there are some Tory MPs that support it, why the government won't support it. No. Well, if everyone watching this can email their MP and say this matters to them, because when it happens to you, your world will turn upside down. You know, and, and the deterrent, if it's strong enough, will mean it won't happen as often. Um, and at the moment it's happening. The rest of the crime wave sort of calmed down during uh, lockdown, but pet theft just took off. Uh, it's just um, dogs became seen as extremely valuable. Yeah, and that's been, you know, there. Yeah, be careful. Supervise your dog. Don't leave them in the garden alone. Uh, don't tie them up outside anywhere. You just but lots and, of and, and don't get it started with the microchipping issue. Oh, the microchips a mess, isn't it? Oh god. But yeah, the dogs have to be microchipped. That is the law. You need to keep your record up to date. But um, we need we need people to scan when they find a dog, so that we. On the first first time they go to the vets, the dog needs to be scanned and not just beep as it got a microchip, but actually check the database. And there's lots of those to make sure it's not flagged up as stolen or lost. Absolutely, important. So many dogs. If you go on doglost.co.uk and just put stolen in, and there are pages and pages and pages, and you know all those people, their lives are just totally on hold. They need they need closure. 
or they need their dog back. And sometimes, well, you know, you know and, 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 and people have to do this uh, before, uh, unless and until politicians do the right thing. And again, it goes back to something else I was working on with the budget call issue. I was working closely with Brian May on the budget call issue, and uh, that's how I met Chris Packham as well on a number of issues. Oh, there. I was going to, we're going to say because you, 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 you seem to to know all the lovely people that that really do put themselves out for animal welfare. So, well, I, 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 yeah, but never side, the lovely people you refer to that put themselves out for animal welfare, nine times out of ten, people like any one of us that listen on this show. Okay, Brian May and Chris Packham are great people and, have, and, and, and use their, their, their mark their, 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 uh, to push the issue, which is tremendous because some people don't. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, when I was working with Brian on, this, on Save Me on the budget call issue, uh, it became extremely frustrating when you listen to people like George Eustace, for instance. Uh, it's not even we thought looking at the science as far as yes. pulling this guy. And, 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 and it, at this time when you hear ministers saying in COVID we're following the science, we're being led by the scientists on COVID. Mm. Well, one hopes they're being uh, 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 led by the scientists a little more than they were led by the scientists when it came to uh, badger calling. Because had the government been led by the scientists when it came to badger calling, it would have stopped virtually immediately. So mm. I must admit that a, a cold shiver goes down my spine when I hear government ministers referred to being led by the science. If they are being led by the science, well, it's a, a brave and new world mm. ranking. Mm, yes. Oh, there's a, there's a lot a lot to worry about, isn't there? But, um... There always is, isn't there? There always is. I, I think you can't be a, a functioning human being if, 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 if you don't expose yourself sometimes to the things that are there to be worried about. Mm. That said, the things that I worry about are things that are worth worrying about. And, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, and, and, and uh, that's the same for you as well, a lot of people. Well, I think that the fact is that you, you try and cram in actually doing something about them, which is the mm. big thing, is that you, you've actually used your, you know, what little time you must have outside of what is a very demanding profession. Um, you've given it very, very kindly to things it, that you've made a significant difference it, to. It's so. not a matter of kindness in, in, in any respect. It's a matter of what I believe in and what I'm driven to do. Um, and I only, I, every now and then I have a little, as Shiloh puts it, a little moment with Lawrence as a representative in this household of the animal kingdom. And, and, and for a moment, and for a moment, he's a fox, he's a badger, mm. he's a dog, he's a lion that's been trophy hunted. For a moment, he just represents all of them, and I just give him a big hug. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I think if anyone just looks into the eyes of their dog, they they know that there's an awful lot going on there. And, and that, that's true of... of of any, I mean, uh, there, there is a study, isn't there, that in um, the link between oh. people who don't respect I've written on this. animals. Have you written? Have you? Yes, there's a, book, the link. there's a book called The Link for those that don't know. Oh. It, it, it's an American expression. Yeah. Create, which, which argues the link between those who uh, mistreat animals, who then will, uh, the link, they'll go on potentially to mistreat human beings. Yes. Uh, not just serial killers, but generally people, uh, general people as well. Anyone uh, and I, uh, I, I contributed a chapter to, to a book called The Link. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's something that really, really interested me. 
what's interesting about the link is that in Scotland, I think I'm right here, in Scotland, whenever there's a potential child abuse case, and they're making the, an investigation to a potential suspect, they'll get that suspect's record. They'll get that suspect's record from the NSPCC. They'll also get records from the RSPCA. We don't do that in this country. Our police, as far as I'm aware, aren't obliged to do that. They're very police listening. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I don't think our, our police are obliged. Some assiduous police officers might. But I don't think our police officers are obliged to get RSPCA and animal welfare reports of people who are suspected of child abuse, for instance. Whereas in Scotland, they are. Because in Scotland, it seems that they acknowledge the link. Or the children. Was it, was it the, the CIA that originally found, when they were studying those yes. serial killers, yes. that um, very often the early signs, the red flags, were the um, abuse of, of, of wild animals, small Absolutely. animals? Oh, yeah. it, it, it's an American term, the link, which, which, which mm -hmm. is used in this country. But yes, it was originally effectively finessed by the CIA. But it's used in this country, but not as much as it should be. And I think, again, that we don't really, because this is another bit of legislation that hasn't quite gone through that should have done, was the increase um, to five years for animal cruelty, because at the moment it's six months, which is... Yes, just, I know. No, no. But, um, so very often, um, I, I don't know why we don't see it as a red flag when someone does something cruel to an animal that... You know, that, like that awful cat killer that was oh, going around. Well, it's not an awful cat killer. It was an awful cat killer going around. I mean, I don't know what was the end of that story was, but there was a rumour that at the end of the day there wasn't. There was, I think there was, there was and there wasn't. I think there was copycat, copycat. Oh, God, dear. Oh, dear. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but there was, um, there was, there, there were, oh, there's probably a, there's probably a film in it, actually, because there's, there are people who've got stories to tell about these these things but there are I think there are definitely people who were pinching people's cats and doing horrible things because some of the some of the injuries were impossible to well, I know I know I know there was a spate of and there has been throughout history spates of horse killing yes uh, and, and in Staffordshire but there's a book been a novel was written about it oh really a novel is now um uh about 10 years ago about a very notorious spate of uh, uh horse mutilations um, by someone who potentially it was, they didn't use the link, but was subject to the link. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and I'm not suggesting every single person that's abusive to animals then becomes abusive to human beings. That's not the suggestion. But the suggestion is there's always a potential link to that. And, and the CIA, when they've examined, for instance, uh, serial killers, have often found, as you just said, uh, mm. that early inclination to torture and dominate animals. Yes, yes, it's, yeah, so when people say it's only a dog, it's only a cat. Well, that, that in itself, I think, is suspect. Yeah. No, uh, 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 well, yeah, I, 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 it, and again, you know, this, this expression, we're a nation of animal lovers, oh. load of baloney. Yeah. What a load of baloney. There mm. are a lot of people in, in this country uh, who are animal lovers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, who care. I, I, don't, I don't like the word lovers, anyway. uh, who care <laughs> for animals. Uh, and I will never call Lance a fur baby. I draw the line. Oh, and, oh no. I, I draw the line. Oh, that's gas, uh, isn't uh, it? Uh, uh, um, but, uh, but we're not a nation of animal lovers. 
No. Not, not in, not, are you only have to do the sort of work I do and narrate the sort of work you do as well to realise that there's a great streak of cruelty in this country. Uh, and there are a lot of people who care for animals, and if you will, love animals, if you want to use that expression, but there's a deep streak of cruelty in this country. And also, we're so backward in our legislation um, compared with other countries. In, in Italy, you can, be, you can be arrested for not walking your dog often enough. And, right. and dogs have got so many more rights than, than in this country. Our dogs are, you know, they should be going on strike. There should be a dog union. Well, you know, there was a, there, there, there is a, 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 a strain of thought, I'm not part of it, that animals should be given legal rights. There's a book called, I think, Rattling the Cage, I think it's called, uh, which, which argues academically that the monkeys and other uh, creatures should have legal rights to bring cases. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far, uh, 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 but uh, it, 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 if, if anyone's listening and is interested in working out whether they agree or disagree with that, it, I think it's called Rattling the Cage. It makes, it makes a very good argument for it, I have to say. And wasn't there a case where a monkey was, was found guilty of murder? Hartley Pool. Hartley Pool. Uh, in <laughs> Pool during the Napoleonic Wars. Yes. Uh, I, I, it was more a propaganda thing. It's very, not particularly good news for the monkey. Uh, it was during the Napoleonic Wars, uh, mm. and a monkey was found on board a boat, and it was hanged as a, a Napoleonic spy. <laughs> So I, I don't that's so much a, a bad example of the law. I think it's a classic example of cruelty. Yes. Uh, uh, um, uh, 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 they didn't put the monkey on trial because they felt the monkey should go on trial. They were just doing a propaganda stunt. But that was it. The monkey was hung or hanged as a Napoleonic spy. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Human race. You've got to worry well, it, about it. It goes back to what I say, you know. I mean, certainly in our history, we certainly uh, were were very cruel to animals, uh, uh, but uh, we still are now. We're not a nation of animal lovers at all, and uh, uh, it's 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 an absolute cop out to say that. If it makes people feel good, so be it. But mm. uh, it's 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 utter. Yeah. Utter. Well, well, let's let's hope you uh, we get this get the laws sorted out and all in order, and that. Um, all, right. all, the, all the criminals that you represent are not guilty. <laughs> As you know, it's not just about the law. It's about people's morals and about people's attitudes and how people see animals. Yeah. Uh, we, we haven't even discussed, neither should we, kind of like a farming and intensive mm. farming method, that thing, but the, the general, circus animals, for instance, until very recently. You commented today also about greyhounds, and that's the, oh. the, the, the well, the but way, you can see I stalk you, you see I follow what you say, you know, I'm stalking you, I see what you put out on something. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, but the way we, but the way, you know, we potentially treat animals right across the board. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we're not a nation of animals. We, we, we have strong sections of people like us and like everyone listening in here and many that aren't listening that deeply care for animal welfare. But the reason people like us exist in many respects is because there are a hell of a lot of people that don't. Yes. And that, 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 is, that is the the real issue. And I don't know, uh, 
we weren't songs in our lifetimes, I wouldn't have thought. But, but we can try, though. Well, listen, you know, uh, you know, I've already got my notch on my gravestone, and it's the hunting act. So let's well, say, you, you know, so you know, but I'm not resting on my laurels. No, no, I'm not resting on your laurels either. So. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm my laurels either, absolutely. No. Oh, well, John, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Because not all right. That's time, that's time flow. What's the time? I don't, I've lost track of time. So. I, I think you've beaten um, the record. Um, I mean, I? Mark, um, Mark did two hours. I think you're near, near enough two hours. So, yes. Yeah, listen, if I'm not, if I haven't beaten Mark's record, let's chat a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But we, we, we we've certainly covered a few a few things here, but do you think you will go back to politics at any stage? Because I, I, I haven't left politics. I I I I'm I'm an advisor to Carl Turner, who's the shadow minister for legal aid, uh, mm. and I am doing a lot of advice behind the scenes. So in that respect, I've never I've never left politics. You've never left. You've just I, you've just changed. The, I, um, I, 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 I'm just working in a, in, in, in a different way. As far as the future is concerned, who knows? who knows? That's the exciting thing about it. Oh, I think you'd be a fantastic MP or indeed leader. So you know, get on with it. We've please. got a wonderful <laughs> leader as it is. <laughs> no, I, I think he's great as well. I think, I, 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 think, I, think I mean, I'm not getting uh, over the top here, but I, I think he'll win the next election. Yes, I think you're probably right. And when will that be? Um, I think Boris will try and go for the four years. I know. think so. But you know. it's certainly been the most difficult period um, for a, a prime minister. I mean, he's... Yeah. Well, you say difficult period. I don't agree with you. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I mean, the record, the, record, the record will show that he's yeah. not I, I think it's one of those things that yes, people will study for many years, and thankfully it happened in a year that they'll be easy for the, all the all the students to remember. If that is indeed, if we well, do, well, I, I think there'll be an inquiry anyway, uh, and the lack of preparation, lack of PPE, uh, 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 the lack of a way forward, the slowness to react, uh, mm. and, in, and, and in a situation like COVID, days matter, weeks certainly matter. And I think he'll be found wanting, but um, you know, as as, as uh, uh, let's try and be positive. We're, whether this thing of us all coming out of it now is a good idea, whether it's uh, uh, too much too soon, is another concern. I mean, I understand that we're going off piste here. I know this is not what we're talking about, but I understand there has to be a balance between saving the economy. Uh, and health, because if the economy fails, then jobs fail and, and livelihoods fail. I understand the dynamics there. And as Keir said, I, 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 you know, I, I'm sure they're all trying to do their best. The, que the question is whether their best has been good enough. And, 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 and I don't think it has. I think they could have done things differently. At the very least, I think they could have done things quicker. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, what is nice at the moment is that... Uh, there's still a sense of both sides of politics, the Labour Party and the Conservatives, trying still to work together, certainly from the Labour side, constructively, rather than simply there doing a no-no-no approach. And that, that, I think, bodes well for the future, because we're going to have to build ourselves out of this now, and it's going to need cooperation between both political parties, so far as it can be achieved, to make sure the country comes out of this as easy as possible. So, 
in that respect, we might not have had the uh, the best prime minister for the crisis, but I think we've had the best opposition leader for the crisis, mm. in my opinion. Well, you never know. We may end up with a coalition of something. I don't know. It'd be nice if everyone worked together. And well, I remember the last coalition. On oh, that wasn't good, was it? <laughs> the Liberal Democrats will be forever damned for it. Yeah, that wasn't good. No, but um, a different sort of coalition. <laughs> well, and, and the best way forward here is not to think of coalition. But in my, we're going right off piece here, and I'm sure <laughs> some of your listeners now are turning off and throwing mugs of coffee at me. But <laughs> then, I always say what I feel. Everyone's entitled to their point of view, and uh, as I say, some of my best friends are conservatives. So, uh, they are. But but for for a pure political point of view. We're not, we shouldn't be talking about coalitions, we should be talking about get this lot out, and let's get a strong Labour government back in again to do the right things. Uh, but that's my view, uh, and I realise lots of people have different points of view, and I respect that. But uh, uh, that, that's my view, and that's, that's a lifetime of view, and I'm not going to change. Old dogs don't know it. <laughs> well, there's plenty of life in the old dog yet. Thank you very much. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, thank you so much, John, for all you do, and for all you're going to do, and... I hope we have another chat in a little while where we say all of those things that were on the to-do list that are now done because um, they're very, I think, I have faith in you, John. I think you're going to get it done. So, <laughs> Can I say I thoroughly enjoy working with you, Bev, in all that we're doing and I particularly enjoy your, your magazines. Uh, and everyone should go out and buy it, seriously. Well, that's very sweet. Today and monthly. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to writing for you again very soon. Well, I'm looking forward to the film review you're doing for us. Well, yes, I think it's called. I'm it's, it's, the it's, film it's, coming it's, back as well. It's a, it's a film called. It's. Uh, uh, I think it's Dog's Life. It's called. It's and it's it, it's an interesting premise. It's a film being released in early July, uh, of a young kid, who has some sort of telepathic, understanding and communication with his pet dog. Uh, and it's a light-hearted family film. Mm. So I'll, I'll have a look at it and I'll report back to you on it. Oh, do do have a look at Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. I don't know if you're aware of him. Um, he wrote um, seven or eight experiments that would, could change the world. But he believes that dogs and well, all of the biological world communicates and we've just forgotten how to do it. And that we used to, but we developed language and that dogs are still in tune and all the animals are talking and we just have forgotten how to... Well, that's interesting because there is a view that we as human beings only use 20% of our brains. Yeah. Can you imagine? Uh, I saw a great science fiction film called Limitless. In fact, on Netflix, it's the series mm. there called Limitless. I don't really yes. Know. It's, it's such fun. I love that. I, I need those tablets. <laughs> I, 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 NZT. Yeah. Uh, uh, and those that haven't watched it, the, it takes this tablet and it opens up the other 80% of oh. your brain. It's a great concept. And, uh, if anyone's got Netflix and wants a really enjoyable uh, box set, look at Limitless. It, yeah. it, those things don't necessarily, uh, I don't usually watch comic dramas because I'm more of a serious mm. drama guy, but uh, I have to say I thoroughly enjoy that. So on the subject of opening up the 80% of your brain you don't use in a fun way, recommend it. You get everything on this discussion, don't you? Right? We, we covered some ground, didn't we? We really did. <laughs> We've got Netflix to, to, to watch list. And somebody did discover what kettle of fish... Oh, I want to know. Right. Um, they said it, oh, it was... It, they only put a very small explanation, but I, I Googled it. And, and apparently it was from very posh people in Vic, Victorian times. Used to have picnics where they would take a kettle with them 
and um, they would catch a salmon and then cook the salmon in the kettle. Oh my god! The very pretty kettle of fish. <laughs> I, I, just just for those that didn't catch our, our, our pre-talk, I I, I I used the expression, didn't I? That's a different kettle of fish. Yes. Uh, and I just threw it out there, kind of like, does anyone know where that saying comes from? So yeah. I was not a different kettle of fish. Maybe the it's about a different salmon being got horrible yeah, boiled in a kettle. Maybe it was a, a, a yeah. So I, a live salmon put in a kettle. Is, see, that's evil, isn't it? Really? It goes back to Victorian again. It goes back to your dissertation. Very poor. Can I just say, we don't just put this thing together here. You know? No, no. <laughs> perfectly. Anyway, I'm going to let you go because you've been working hard all day. I know that because you've squeezed this in in between proper job. Yeah, well, no, I wanted to and I've been looking forward to it. And uh, I mean, I had to do justice to your poster. It's a tremendous poster. Yeah. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. And yeah, and we must get you to to you know, do some some more writing of films and books and things. I, I, I should do it. You know, what it's like um, it, it got to the stage whereby I couldn't meet your deadlines all the time, and I thought I didn't want to let you down. So, Aww. but but I'd certainly look forward to uh, to writing more. I've missed writing we would more. Love dogs. to have you in whenever you can. Whenever you feel you've got something you want to say as oh, well. Oh well, in that case. Yeah. <laughs> and on the subject of the front page, I'll always remember you putting me in Lawrence on it. Oh, well, not many human beings. I have been know you told, you told me that. Yeah, Julian Clary, Davina McCall, Barbara Cartland. It's a very oh, strange I... club, I have to say. Well, I have to say, for those listening that don't know what we're talking about, have a look at Beverly's poster, but you'll see a picture of me and Lawrence on Dogs today. Oh, no, it was a beautiful front cover. Penel Mulby did lovely work. I remember being there with her and she, again, Lawrence is, you know, a nervous dog and she was very patient with him uh, to get those photographs. Well, that's the thing is, because uh, I've been doing some selection of photos for um, a PR yeah. doggy client yes. and we spend hours saying, what is the dog thinking in this photo? And <laughs> you, we, 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 people do spend hours looking at faces and go, because you were saying earlier. That oh, I know where you're like, going. I don't, I'm not. Do on, they do no, 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 this is where you and I are going to have a disagree. <laughs> I mean, it's purely muscle relaxants of their face. They're not smiling. Come no, on, guys. Come on. I love my dogs. I love them dearly, but he ain't smiling at me. <sighs> well, I'll we'll throw that one out. We'll all go away now and discuss. Do dogs <laughs> or do we just interpret it when their jaws relax? Well, well, I'm, I, if, if your dog smiles, post a picture below this, and uh, we'll. Oh, no, he often, no, no, he often looks like he's smiling. I'm not. No, no, I'm not going to be blown out of the water on this by everyone sending pictures of dogs looking as if they're smiling, because yeah. I know dogs look as if they smile. My point is, they're not smiling. They're just kind of relaxing there. Yeah, well, maybe, but that they smile with their eyes. I mean, oh, that's different. Uh, that's different. I, I think dogs are very expressive for their eyes. Yes. I mean, Lawrence works through his eyes. Oh, God. You know. I mean, uh, yes, Betty. I, I can Betty. see when he's happy. I can see when he's apprehensive. Mm. I can see when he's uh, uh, thinking. Yes. Through his yes. eyes. Yeah, that's we'll different. I, do, I agree. Eyes, yeah. Yes. And ears. Yeah, the it, well, they've that, that's the thing is we don't do anything with our ears, and they they just spend the whole time um, um, doing all sorts of interesting. And they understand other dogs as well. What gets me the other thing I learned about having a dog is 
is sometimes dogs can send out messages to other dogs which we're not reading. So for instance, when a dog suddenly starts barking at another dog across the street, we think, well, why are you suddenly barking at that dog? What that dog, your dog is seeing is maybe the dog across the street holding its tail in such a way that we as humans don't recognize, but it's in a quite aggressive way in the sense of this is my patch. And therefore mm -hmm. your dog will start barking, recognizing that stance, which we as humans don't even recognize. So mm -hmm. sometimes when your dog starts barking at another dog for no apparent reason, it may well be, be because that other dog is sending out signals of you're on my territory. I've just possibly foolishly looked over at Facebook and there are 76 comments that we haven't dealt with. But I oh, think no. we'll think about that. In, uh, are they all disagreeing with me on dogs smiling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, I'm smiling. I'm smiling, but that's not because my my mouth's going down. Yeah. Yep. No one's supporting me on this. It's a landslide, I'm afraid. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. Let right. me let me put it this way. Lawrence is happy even if he doesn't smile. That's true. That's the best thing. That's, we, that's we the most important thing. And he must be happy because you know he had a chance to run off and have a new life somewhere he else. Doesn't have a luxury that does. I wish I could. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, John. It's a pleasure. It's been absolutely lovely. And um, I'm going to turn this into um, a podcast that people can watch later. And um, who knows, we, 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 when, you're, when you're the Prime Minister of, um, of Britain, uh, uh, yeah. this will be much, much referred to <laughs> and you'll probably be teased a great deal about dogs smiling. Not in the slightest. <laughs> I stand by everything I've said, for the record. Uh, have a nice evening, everyone. Beverly, thank you for the invitation. And yeah. let's do it again soon. Fantastic. Thank Thanks you. again, John. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye.